Hi, I'm Samanda. And I'm Carmanda. And together, we're... Wisely Stupid. Welcome back to Wisely Stupid with Carmanda and Samanda. Today, we have a very special guest, our first ever guest, Denanda. And Denanda and I met in high school... And we have been obsessed with the number three ever since. So I thought it was pretty fitting that we feature her on our third episode of the podcast. Welcome, Denanda. <laughs> Thank you, Sam. <Sarah. laughs> it's, it's an honor to be here. <laughs> it's an honor to have you. Um, so today we're going to be talking about process philosophy. And um, I kind of wanted to explain what it is before we even get started. Process philosophy is this um, way of thinking that says that reality and the universe are actually, there's nothing of substance in this world. Everything is just change. Um, Now, every single thing has a different rate of change, like the universe and stars change at a very much longer pace than humans do. And let's say fruits and iron changes and rusts on a shorter faster pace than humans. And so we tend to see fruits as um, non, they're not um, stable things. Well, we tend to see the universe and uh, materials as things that are there and things that will stay there. But that's only because we have a limited point of view. We can't see the entire history of the universe. So we tend to think that things that have a slower rate of change are actually um, stagnant or stable, but they're not everything is constantly in a way of changing. Um, and I kind of wanted to get your thoughts, Carmel, uh, Carmanda, that's my bad. <laughs> oh my God. She exposed my real identity. I exposed you. <laughs> Sammy. <laughs> it's all right. It's all right. The, the podcast still says Carmanda. Okay. <laughs> Whoever's listening, don't tell anyone. But I kind of wanted to get your thought because you sort of have the like, you know, you have the bioengineering side of it where you you know more about cells and genes more than I do. And then Dana, you have like a more mathematic background than I do. And you know a lot more about quantum mechanics than I could ever even begin to imagine. So I kind of wanted to get your perspectives and your thoughts on this whole field and this pro- like this way of thinking that life and reality is just a process and not really substance. Right. Um. So I guess I, right now, I think the more I talk to you guys, the more like ideas will pop into my head and like synthesize my thoughts. But mm-hmm. right now, when I was reading that um, process philosophy link that you sent me, what I first connected it to like in my brain was um, I was reading this um, article at like a scientific magazine like a couple years back and um, it was this. It was a discussion about time, and it said like, you know, what is time? Is it like a fifth dimension, like Interstellar told us, or mm. like so? What is it? And um, the author of the article said that. Oh my God, Alexa! Just I'm sorry. She's <laughs> she, she's the fourth <laughs> guest. <laughs> we have another guest, Alexa. <laughs> But no, yeah, um, so time was nothing but a direction. It was a forward direction. So hmm. um, you can't unmix the coffee and the creamer. You can't uncook mm-hmm. the egg. So once, mm-hmm. you know, the protein in the egg, they, um, um, I forgot the term, but <laughs> once you. Um, like once you cook it, once what, it changes. Yeah, once it changes. um oh denature there you go once you denature the protein that's it there's no going back and so that's just what i thought about um that's what i connected to with like process philosophy is that you just it's just a yeah it's a process and the only way is forward Mm -hmm. one thing that like really interests me about this way of thinking is just like its implications that like you know everything that we know about the world is just our perception of the world 
And like we use language to sort of confirm with other people that like, oh yeah, I think the world works in this way. And you're like, yeah, I think the world works in this way too. But first of all, we can't check that my world is exactly like your world. And then second of all, just like we don't, even if it matches, that doesn't necessarily mean that's what it's like to be out there without being human, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Like everything, everything is filtered with in our perception and obviously our brain evolutionarily it's not gonna it's not gonna understand reality as it is because it's just gonna take too much time too much energy too much space computing power like it's just it's it's too much for one human to handle and like so 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 that's the thing like we're always limited by who we are and no matter what we accomplish like tend to accomplish like understand about the world that's only a sliver of what it's ever going to be and i feel like process philosophy is sort of just like let's let kind of i don't know if it lets go of like the need to know but i think it's definitely a way in which it realizes that we are infallible beings you know like, we don't know how the world works just because we can see it through our perception. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I did want to add um, to, uh, like, something about process philosophy that I found interesting, um, just, like, researching it when you first told me about it, was that mm-hmm. um, it actually seems like it has a lot of ties in with quantum, quantum mechanics and quantum physics, um, because quantum physics is kind of based around the fact that energy is quantized or discrete um, and that particles only exist in discrete energy levels, meaning there is no continuous increase in energy. You can only ever be in some designated level. Mm. Um, you know, I- yeah. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just, no, I was just going to keep that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was actually, so I was, watching PBS Space Time on YouTube earlier today and one of the things that I watched was like what is energy because I've always just wondered like what what is energy and the thing that I figured out is I didn't I still don't know what energy is but now I know what mass is mass is just like it's sort of like a measurement of how much energy you have Mm. and and I, I was thinking, like, th- the guy was telling me, he was like, there's, you can't convert energy into mass, you know? It doesn't go, like, it doesn't convert into mass. It just is mass, you know? And, and I can't, I can't wrap my head around that because energy is not supposed to be like, a, like, it's not a substance, you know? Right. Or if it is, like, then what is it? And mm-hmm. uh, so, so just like the part, the, the fact that mass and energy, are the same thing and that's not even quantum physics yet is it like it's just trying to figure out what energy is um, and yeah. and uh, the fact that we don't even know that is crazy to me yeah I definitely think that that um that interchangeability between um uh, mass and energy is more related to relativity mm. it's um it is interesting actually that recently they did, there was a study about um, a specific subatomic particle. I don't remember the name, um, but they were trying to figure out what exactly gave the particle its mass. And it Mm -hmm. turned out it was about, um, I think it was like 90% was just energy. So Mm -hmm. it was just the energy of the particle that was giving it mass. That's so so crazy. The weight of something. So energy carries weight, if you kind of think of it like that. Mm Mm-hmm which um, definitely is another scientific, um, I would say, like a theory or property that you can apply to process philosophy. Um, it, it definitely makes sense. Yeah. And the fact that, okay, so th- this is what really um, triggered my interest. It was like the fact that potential energy is a thing, <laughs> you know, just like having like when things are far apart or something and they attract each other, having them further away will have more potential energy than if they were closer together. And just like the only reason that the potential energy is released or they even have it is it's because there is a chance of that process happening, right? If Mm -hmm. I'm mistaken, please correct me because I don't know anything about physics. (laughs) But from what I understood it to be like, a thing has potential energy if there is a chance that it might release it. Yeah, yeah. So basically, potential energy is just like some general category of energy that you can make from some type of separation of objects, 
um, or I guess release of like, for example, in chemistry, um, bonds hold potential energy. So once mm-hmm. you break the bonds, you'll release energy. It becomes mm-hmm. kinetic or thermal. So potential energy is kind of weird because yeah it kind of seems like okay if we're thinking about it in sort of like probability terms like I know probability and statistics is used in quantum mechanics a lot but like just having a condition like having the probability like if there is a chance that this might be released then it already has energy you know like that's really weird (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's almost like it's I mean this happens a lot in in science but potential energy is one of those things where I feel like we kind of just gave it a name and established Mm -hmm. it as a a thing that exists and we Mm -hmm. very well could have done something else with this information and gotten just Mm -hmm. as good results so there's a lot of stuff in quantum mechanics where it just ends up being kind of confusing because it's a little arbitrary um but Potential energy is um, a macro Newtonian measurement. You know, it's not something mm. we actually use much in quantum mechanics because mm-hmm. it is almost a culmination of fundamental principles rather than itself a fundamental principle. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, okay. Yeah. That makes sense. The, the, but, the, sh- the show, not the show, the video I was watching, it said that like even quarks have potential energy, like the potentiality to interact with the Higgs boson or like the Higgs field, my bad, and like all this other stuff. But I guess they were just dumbing it down for well, regular people. <laughs> there is there is a potential energy term in the um, time independent and probably time dependent Schrodinger equation, which is like the basis for quantum mechanics. So mm-hmm. you can, okay, you can call it potential energy. It's just it's interesting to think about it more in specific terms, like mm. um, because when you say potential energy, yeah, like a lot of people think. It's, you know, maybe you're dropping a ball from a height or something. But mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm. in quantum mechanics, a lot of it is like very specific types of potential energy. Um, yeah, the like scale of it is just energy. so different that it's not the same. It just, yeah, it just helps to think of it more specifically. But potential energy itself is a really useful concept hmm. in general. I kind of want to take a detour here. I hope we can find our way back. But <laughs> I just wanted to ask uh, you, Denanda and Carmanda, um, if if so considering all of these things in science like you said we probably just gave potential energy this name in order for us for it to be easier for us to kind of understand it um i wanted to know if you guys think that science is if it's a tool that we use sort of like an instrument or if it's like unveiling realities about the world so when we say this thing has potential energy is it is it saying that yeah that thing literally has potential energy or is it sort of like a name that we've given its property that it has you know what, what I'm trying to say do you mean like do you mean like is it you know like math did we discover it or yes or is it is it an invention yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. it's this is uh, the debate between realism, scientific realism, <laughs> says that like whenever we make discoveries, that's literally what we're doing. Like we're finding out things about the world versus an anti-realist that says like, yeah, you know, given that we're humans, we literally do not know anything. And these are just tools that we've created for ourselves in order to understand the world. I kind of wanted to get your, your takes on your, the realism versus anti-realism debate. Huh. <laughs> I feel like I have a a very complex opinion on this. <laughs> okay. Um, I feel like so I I think I've discussed like there is a difference between so I I guess like I didn't even come to realize this until like I was you know switching like research labs but there is a difference between like like a basic like a basic very pure form of science Mm-hmm. And a more like you know application, uh, clinical based, I guess, um, uh, aspect of um, biology. So I guess I don't know. Like I feel like definitely you know in terms of like newer fields like biotechnology, bioengineering, these I don't know. Like I guess I want to call them like anomalies because they're not naturally occurring. Mm-hmm. I feel like I could say or I could claim that these are things that, you know, are created by man, are invented by man. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I, in, you know, on the other side of the spectrum, you have these very, like, basic, pure forms of science, like 
you know, how does the cell work? How does this process work? Um, and I think those are something that that's, you know, already like inherent to like our, our universe, our reality, and we are just discovering it and like giving it names for us to understand mm. it. Mm-hmm. But I think I think the argument is so let's say take biology. I definitely agree with you on the bioengineering point in which like we're literally sequencing our genes and then trying to like artificially change them or like that's that's one part of bioengineering. Mm-hmm. But when you take biology, something that it's like it's it's a very old discipline compared to pretty much everything else except for physics. Mm-hmm. And um like even then we can try to say there's always been like revolutions within the field of biology, right? Like scientific revolutions. They used to study it one way and now we're studying it a different way. And with with each technology comes something new that we can learn about biology. Like, I don't think we've figured out the human body yet. I guess cells maybe, I don't know. I don't know molecular cell biology, we, but- We have not. There's a lot for okay. us to learn. Yeah, so 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 the thing is, the, the argument is even within a field as really old as biology, are we right now, can we definitely say that the things that we are finding are real, like they exist out in the universe? Or is it just a way for us to understand them with the technology we have today and with the tools that we have today? Like me personally, I'm going to give you my opinion. I just, I don't think we could ever be so advanced enough to understand the reality of things. Like I I always feel like there's always going to be a better machine. There's always going to be a better researcher, better ideas and like ways of improving upon science. And so like, I don't know if there's ever a point where we could say, oh, we figured out science so far. Like at this point, we're going to say that this is what is really out there. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, not to talk too much about quantum mechanics, but uh, mm-hmm. there's no back. such thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was just going to point out that um, uh, quantum mechanics itself is basically just a way of understanding um, how fundamental particles behave or waves. Um, and I was just thinking, you know, what is, is there really a way to show that science has fully understands, like understood something? Mm-hmm. And I was thinking originally about the scientific method. Um, people tend to think that if something passes through that scientific method of hypothesis and experimentation and conclusion, that it is like a truth. But mm-hmm. Um, that made me thinking. Made me start thinking of um, Newtonian mechanics, which is this macro way of understanding how things move. You know, like balls rolling down hills and stuff like that. Um, and it passes the scientific method fine. You know, I, I mean, in uh, undergraduate physics one, you you conduct all these labs where you think of a hypothesis and you t- test it out, and then you. Um, you can come to conclusions mm-hmm. and it passes the scientific method. But in reality, if you end up studying any of these um, theories of relativity or quantum mechanics, you actually find that the Newtonian mechanics is not the truth. You know, it's mm-hmm. just a way of uh, seeing our world in a way that we can understand and, and use mm-hmm. to calculate quantities. But it really isn't the truth of how everything is working. It's just a tool to use to to predict things. So And I and you yeah. figure out that it's not a good tool once you've developed better tools, right? Now mm-hmm. that we have special relativity, then we can look back on Newtonian physics and be like, uh yeah, pass a scientific method, but that's not necessarily the truth. And I feel like you can't do that until you've gone to the next stage, which kind of goes back to process philosophy. Like I think not only reality is a process, but I think like culturally the way that we think um there's this philosopher um a french philosopher named michel michel foucault and he has this idea of an episteme which is kind of like a world view um like a world view of a culture at a certain point in time he says that the way we think is really it's it's historically contingent like like there are revolutions in countries, there are also revolutions in ways of thinking. And in the next revolution, the way that the, the past was thinking is absolutely like illogical. But if you were to judge the new way of thinking from the old way of thinking, that jump would have also been illogical. Like imagine being in the Enlightenment and then you posit theories of 
um, like Einstein's relativity. People would be like, what the fuck are you on about? Like, we already have Newton. We don't need this weird, weird mumbo jumbo. <laughs> but then like we, we developed new tools and new ways of measuring. And I don't know, we developed Einstein too. I don't know how we did that, but that happened. <laughs> that <laughs> happened. And then, yeah. And then that changed, that changed the way of the episteme, like the episteme of scientific like thinking was changed and then we never know when the next revolution is happening and we don't know what the next idea is going to be but the only thing that you can know is that our ideas will change and something like we will not stay in this way of being in this way of thinking forever because everything is a process yeah yeah I think that definitely applies and not to say that all of those old process or all of those old um theories and like Newtonian mechanics are wrong they're just mm-hmm. um, not as accurate. And, They're developmental. Yeah. And and even, I mean, like for years and decades, we will still use Newtonian mechanics because quantum mechanics and relativity are really hard to, to make work, you know, like mathematically, it takes so much work to make mm-hmm. quantum mechanics mm-hmm. uh, describe a macro system that, you mm-hmm. know, supercomputers can't do that. And so... Do you think a quantum computer can do that? Yeah, actually, you know, that is the kind of one of the biggest uh, purposes, I think, that people are making quantum computers um, is to make some type of computer that can calculate quantum or or solve quantum equations on a fast scale, hmm. you know. So mm-hmm. as you're saying, you know, we're developing new technology in this process of like cultural societal development. And maybe once we do have quantum computers everywhere and they become widely used then uh, quantum mechanics will replace newtonian mechanics who knows wow that would that would like i can't believe we're living in these ages <laughs> it's it's so crazy to to see you know i feel like we're really lucky that we were born in 98 i don't know when you were born but in 98 i was born and um, oh no like we just oh got to no. see the world boom <laughs> oh in technology no, you know oh no I'm sorry for the technical difficulties. <laughs> I probably put some tr- transition music between um, this, the other clip and this clip, but um, uh, I was just going to say like, it's really so awesome being born in like the late nineties. Cause you kind of see society just booming with all the technology that it's never had before, but it's also super weird because everyone else has never had the technology, but you have. So being like, like early Gen Z is really awesome, but also really weird. Yeah, for sure. I feel like we've kind of come into a time where both technology and even some science has like, come to breakthroughs, you know? Definitely. Like, I feel like, you know, when in the Middle Ages, everyone thought, like all the knowledge was already known. So they would go back to the ancient Greeks so they can learn all the knowledge that they've already known. <laughs> and, and then the enlightenment came and everyone's like, oh, there's more stuff to learn. I feel like we're still we're still in that era where we're like, oh my God, we're learning so much stuff. <laughs> there's so much more to do. Oh my gosh. I know. It's crazy, crazy stuff. But at the same time, like I, I also feel like science sort of suffers from a, it sort of suffers from like, a toxic positivity you know like mm-hmm. it's so hyped up science like as a tool that everyone thinks well not everyone obviously as we've seen in the <laughs> pandemic but everyone <laughs> in the scientific community thinks that it's like a no fail like oh everything we find every knowledge that we create is perfectly good and helping humanity when that's not always the case where like science has really done some damage in the past that is not really acknowledged yeah but- yeah, like it's a tool like anything else. Yeah, you know, science is science is political. Science is biased. It's um, based in society. Yeah, and I never thought of well, I guess like now that I you know I've gone through like college, I you know science is not the absolute truth. What we mm-hmm. science like what we think is like say like you know like a fact like I don't know like evolution. It's just mm-hmm. like like a consensus in the community which everyone thinks is true like absolutely. this is how we think the world works so absolutely mm-hmm. we don't know anything when for i sure. was when i was 
when I was taking philosophy of science, we were talking about like, um, while we were in the hard sciences, I feel like philosophy of hard science is probably one of the easier philosophies because I don't know, like when you get to philosophy of social science, you're just like, my brain hurts. But in <laughs> philosophy of hard science, they were talking about like, well, how did Galileo like revolutionize the study of physics through math? Like he had to go to people and convince them that this was the right way. And at first people didn't believe him. And then yeah. as he started getting more and more results, then people were slowly being convinced that, okay, maybe we can use math to do physics. And now that's just an accepted fact, you know, like math is physics. Physics is done by using math. But we forget that long, long ago, 500 years ago, the first person to do it had to convince and get consensus from so many different people. And then that consensus is just sort of like passed down from each scientist to each scientist. Yeah, yeah. I would say that idea that science has to be done a certain way, like we were saying about scientific method and with physics, how you have to do it with math, is very, it's a, it's a, it's a societal thing, you know, that it is truth. You know, physics is the, is the ultimate truth, and we can listen mm -hmm. to it, and it'll tell us exactly what we need to know. But, um, I mean, people, there are physicists all over that will publish papers just to spite other physicists, you know, and they'll get peer-reviewed. Wow. <laughs> they'll get peer-reviewed papers, you know, and it's basically just like a whole paper full of sass to, to like, call out some other physicists. You know, you can publish almost anything nowadays. You really so can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, honestly, I was, like, trying to move my – like, even now, I was I – was, in R trying to read my data and it was like coming up with something I didn't want and I like kept changing it so it would be what I want but obviously yeah. that's not how science works like I can't just make data do what I want like mm -hmm. I'm supposed right. to be in service of it but mm -hmm. sometimes science is kind of seen on the other side where like the data works for you but really you are working to explain the data like the data is just telling you something and you have to interpret it but Right. I just want it to do I just want it to conform to what I want it to do <laughs> that's what, what <sighs> I want I would yeah. like my I mean, data to work exactly uh, wouldn't any scientist that has a hypothesis like I, I sort of feel like it's human nature to want to be right about your world because the implication that you're not sort of means that you're just like aimlessly walking around in a random place mm -hmm. like on a floating rock <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think this also kind of reminds me of this one um, method I learned in my analytical chemistry class, where basically, I'm sure you've also learned about these methods, both of you have done data analysis before, but um, it's basically just that you eliminate points that are outliers. And mm -hmm. at first, I was like, doesn't that seem like bad practice? Cheating. Yeah, because <laughs> it's getting rid of all the points that don't agree with your conclusions. But then there is a point where it's reasonable, but like, how do you strike that balance between, you know, cutting out useful data that could define whether or not your thesis is correct or just cutting out data that was a mistake? You almost don't really know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I suffer a lot with this one, especially recently, because one of my um, one of my these one of my hypotheses is something to do with time like oh it's going to take participants this much amount of time in order to do this uh, but you know this is during covid so i don't have a lot of um influence over what the participant is doing during the survey so maybe they could have like taken a water break they could have done this they could have done so many things that i don't know about to skew the time and when i look through the data like Obviously, it's pretty obvious sometimes where it'll be like, oh, the the second to last time is 50 seconds, but the last time is like 200 seconds. And you're like, okay, that's obviously an outlier. Like, that that's obviously just someone who took a break or something. Mm -hmm. But then other times, it'll be like 57 versus 70. And I'm like, are those 20 seconds significant? Did you do something that like different from the other participants? And so like, when you have less control, it definitely is like, more muddier and more uncertain. Yeah, uh -huh. I could definitely see that being more of a problem when you're dealing with human subjects, 
Mm-hmm. I mean, even oh, like, that's true. You guys don't work with humans. <laughs> <laughs> I like. I humans. forgot about that. <laughs> I work with human cells. <laughs> cells aren't as unpredictable as humans themselves. I'm sure the cells don't do, go take bathroom breaks. You know. Yeah, right, yeah, and that is that is like the biggest difference between hard science and social science. Also, just like how the heck do we study ourselves without like you know, influencing our opinion of ourselves. It's just a yeah. whole other, like, whole other set of problems when it comes <laughs> to science about that. A lot of ethical debates that come up around that. Oh, yeah. Like, okay, so this is, have you heard of the uh, Stanford prison experiment? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like most people have. Yeah. And So there's, like, a huge problem with that experiment, and it's not the one that you think it is. Um, <laughs> so the, the huge problem is that like, it's not really like the subjects weren't really representative of the entire human race. And mm-hmm. so when people are trying to say stuff about that experiment, you're just like, yeah, but it doesn't really generalize. And the only way you can generalize it is to replicate the experiment. But it's so unethical to replicate the experiment that basically like just the fact that they did the experiment sort of renders it like not like not relevant really right. to the rest of society you so although like that happened yeah you can't generalize those results because like it's just so like you, you never know how many variables that can change what happened but at the same time what if it is true and then we replicate the experiment and so many horrible things happen to people again so it really is it's a catch-22 of a of a scientific case mm-hmm yeah Yeah, I mean that was fucked up (laughs) (laughs) yeah there's so many old like social science experiments like like the one with the babies in the orphanage where they left them alone oh no oh yeah (laughs) and the one where like he scared the kid with the with the white rat and every time he saw white he'd get scared oh god yes you could never do those and I mean for good reason yeah um, but yeah, it's like, it, it, is the data from that even useful at this point, you know? Yeah. And I was going to say, um, so this is something really interesting that I learned in my introduction to cognitive science class. There was this one researcher who would like, so let's say that, uh, like a, a patient has epilepsy and they're going into a neuro, this was in the 60s. Um, there's a ep- patient with epilepsy and he's going to a neurosurgeon in order to get his corpus callosums cut so that like the brains don't talk to each other and he can stop having like severe epilepsy. This one researcher would like sort of swoop in And I don't know if he asked for consent or not, but he would like poke around in their brain and he would ask them stuff and he would figure out which part of the brain did stuff while they were having open brain surgery to fix their epilepsy. And I'm just like, you could never, not in 2020, you could (laughs) never, ever, ever do that again. It's so crazy. People are sneaky. It might happen. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, like, honestly... I was just going to say, do you, did you see that, um, the article about that uh, woman who was playing the violin during her brain surgery? That just reminds oh, me Oh, no, that. I didn't. Yeah, they wanted to make sure she it, they weren't affecting her ability to play the violin, so she played the violin. That sounds throughout. like yeah. a Grey's Anatomy episode. <laughs> I remember reading that, like, from Facebook yeah. or something. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense, though. Um, Oftentimes, when you do open brain surgery, you're talking to the patient Mm -hmm. so that you make sure that, like, they're still functioning. I mean, they're obviously under anesthesia, but they're not sleeping. They're awake and talking. Right. Right. Yeah. I was going to say something. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, so I feel like we talk about, like, the previous cases now. Like, oh, my God, I can't believe you were allowed to do that. But I feel like we're in the same stage right now in 2020 when it comes to data. Like, the things we do with data right now is insane. Like, we mm-hmm. just, like, package and sell people, people's data. And I mm-hmm. feel like in 20 years, we're going to look back in the 2020s and we're like, oh, my God, I can't believe data was just, like, out and free like that. That's freaking <laughs> insane. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The ethics of, of what science can and can't do or technology is, is totally changing for every 10 years even, you know. We get these mm-hmm. new ethical dilemmas where we have to, as a society, kind of judge whether or not we can do something and that that sharing of data is I think slowly becoming more and more taboo to a lot of people like people are more and more aware of it and they want it to happen they don't want it to happen as much 
Yeah, and you know what? Like, I feel like humans, we're just too slow in understanding the consequences of our actions. Mm-hmm. Like you said, it does it does take us like 10 years to realize, oh, like, hold up, wait a minute, there might be something wrong here. And then it's only after, I guess it's only after we start to see the process, like the process happening in which we're like, okay, like it's time to stop. But we've been collecting data for like since like 2010 it's only become taboo sort of like 2020s when you start to see what they're really doing with it Mm -hmm. but the like the the action of collecting this much data has been going on for a long time yeah yeah and so it kind of makes me think yeah cambridge analytica (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah. Yeah. And one thing, okay, so one thing I kind of did want to talk about um, that came into my mind as we're talking about process philosophy is not only does it exist, like, in reality, it exists in science, but it sort of exists in a lifetime as well, you know? Um, I was just thinking about, like, you know, when you read your diary and you're just like, oh my god, I cannot believe I was, like, that person in 2015 or something, but... Life really, life really do be a process, and you're just constantly changing. And if you're not looking back two years ago, and you're like, "Who is that person?" Like you're not doing life right. That's literally me. I <laughs> I have journals from like 2017. I'll just reread my oh my god, like like really sappy like entries, and I was like, "Who was this?" Who this? <laughs> yeah, I have yeah for sure. I have like um, a journal that has um, like all the highlights of a quarter, like things that happen in fall 2017 and the things that I thought were important. I was like, what? <laughs> I don't even remember this happening. <laughs> yeah, your perspective on the current events in your life is pretty, it's pretty shitty, to be honest. You know, <laughs> like right now. I'm what do you mean? I'm like, oh, God, this this math that I've been doing, it's so hard. How am I going to get through this week? And then, like, a year from now, I'm going to be like, I don't even remember that week of my life, you know? That I don't is remember true. what happened. Yeah. yeah. And, and, okay, so this is what I've been thinking about also. Like, feelings are also a process, you know? Yeah. Um, happiness, sadness, anxiety, these are all things that we subjectively feel, but they are a process. You're not constantly feeling them they're not there constantly although like if you have a really long like I've had long like weeks of depression where I thought like oh this is just the rest of my life but then like you you just step out of it and it does end and like it's really interesting to see that literally every single part of ourself is a process like our cells are a process our organs are a process our feelings are a process our growth is a process our universe is a process and when you think about that you're just like you know, it, it's it's easier to embrace the change. Mm-hmm. And it's easier to let go too. Like thinking about happiness, everyone wants it to last forever, you know, but just like everything else, it's a feeling. And I feel like getting attached to that feeling is also why you're, you're upset and disappointed at the same time. Yeah. That's why yeah. you don't do Molly. <laughs> <laughs> all right all right (laughs) don't do drugs kids don't do drugs everyone those those change your process in a good way (laughs) i don't know though yeah i mean it's just when is it that we consider this as like oh process philosophy is just the way of life versus just like this is just what time is things are just Mm. changing all the time that's just how life is everything's changing is it really because on a small scale there are small instances of change or is it just like a continuous time, you know? Is that just how everything is? Ugh, now I'm yeah. getting all like weird and like, <laughs> No, this is, we're getting philosophical, <laughs> we're getting deep. But yeah, you're right. Like uh, this is also just a, the just the question of quantum mechanics in general, you know? Like what if we know something about the smallest pieces of life? Like, does that mean we know something different about life in general? Like, just because quarks behave this way, does that mean that our entire perception of the universe is wrong? Like, how do you how do these ideas scale up? How does it work on each level of living? Because there are many, many, many different levels of life that we're on right now. Mm-hmm. And so do, do all the rules apply to each level or... Like, yeah. is it 
something different. Right. I mean, like from a quantum mechanical the quantum mechanical perspective, it you know, mm-hmm. it is a truth that electrons have quantized energy. But is that even really useful in the like the scheme of this macro world we live in? Does that even though it scales technically, you know, technically everything has quantized energy, but is that even a useful thing to to know when we live life in a continuous state? So. Mm-hmm. At, there's a point where maybe everything is a process on a small scale. It's always like a small discrete event, but on a large scale, we just feel everything is continuous. Mm, this is, uh, so this is, I think, I feel like this might be a question for media theory, which sort of uses, um, you know, like when you're watching a video, it's actually just a whole bunch of images going really fast. Mm-hmm. And so w- what if, life is sort of like let's say um like a simulation if it were a simulation a video game a movie or something that is sort of how it would work it would just be a whole bunch of discrete images just going so fast that we can't tell that they are discrete images at least not not at the level that we live in you know mm-hmm. like we're not a supernova star i don't know if supernova stars are conscious or not that would hurt like a bitch if they were conscious but <laughs> like just exploding in space but you know we we only know what it's like to be human and we only know what it's like to live at this level and so just wondering about like what's going on on the other dimensions time like is it all a process is anything real (laughs) are we in a simulation (laughs) honestly probably it feels like it at this point yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I would look up the sky and there's like little like specks of like green and I'm like, am I is it is it glitching? <laughs> <laughs> Honestly though <laughs> if if this is a video game, who is the main character? I just want to talk to them. <laughs> it's everyone. It's you. You yeah. are the main character. I am the main character. We're all the main mm-hmm. character. What if this morning when I woke up, this is actually like my very first day, like conscious? (laughs) I think that all all the time. (laughs) All my memories of like what happened even just yesterday were like just literally planted to my brain. Yeah. I always think of that. I'm like, what if I was just like a clone put here? And you know, everything I thought was real was just like memories implanted in my brain. (laughs) Have you ever seen Living with Yourself on Netflix? With no. Paul Rudd. I, I, oh, I know what it's about, it. though. Yeah. Oh, Paul Rudd? So it's oh, a, yeah, Paul Rudd. He goes to, yeah, he goes to a spa. So he, he basically sucks as a person, right? Like, he has terrible relationships. He doesn't like his job. And so his, his friend recommends him to go to this, like, um, Vietnamese spa. And they they claim to make him a better person, but they actually just clone him and change his personality. <laughs> and they kill him, but he doesn't die, so he has to live with this clone. It's so funny. <laughs> Damn. It's so interesting. But you yeah, and your clone would have it. separate consciousness, right? You would, yeah. They're different people. Like the the clone is better than him. Like I, I would I would highly recommend watching it. Like I think Paul Rudd is beautiful but beautiful times two because there's two of them dude that would be so interesting what if what if you can have like a shared consciousness among your clones what is it like to live outside of just like one vessel like you exist Mm. in multiple vessels at the same time like my mind can't even wrap my head Around that is that. <laughs> literally cannot wrap my head around. Oh, okay, that. so this is hold on. I'm sort of a, co- a contradictory to this. Is it that okay? I know it's not shared consciousness, but when you're speaking, you are sharing your thoughts with another person. So I feel like it would sort of feel like a collaboration, but at a higher level. You know, like when you're working in a team, you're all doing different parts, but you're all doing one thing and you all have the same idea of what you're doing. It would sort of feel like that, but you would be more in control of your team, which is mm-hmm. a way better advantage. <laughs> it sounds like just like a more efficient way to do your group project, you know. Exactly. <laughs> oh, Miss McCarthy, can me and my three clones work together? <laughs> <laughs> but then like you have this like competition between clones, like one of them wants to do one task. Ooh. Or is it just like because it's all you, you can just delegate and you are some like removed consciousness? 
depends is okay so does cancer exist in this universe because i feel like if it does then your clone might turn against you because if you're using your cells in order to reproduce it what if those cells that make up that clone are like hey we're gonna work for ourselves now or maybe the neural networks in that clone mutate and they're like hey we're gonna think we're a conscious being now Mm-hmm. And then they run off and they try to kill you or something like that. Like, well, I feel clone. like someone can go wrong. <laughs> yeah, also, like, your clone could, like, develop, like, a consciousness of its own and... Like, hide it from you? Hide it from you. Oh, my God. That is ex- if, if a clone is able to deceive you, then that is a really good tell of how human it is. Mm-hmm. But, like, yeah, it, so, it really is just, like, could you deceive yourself? Because if you could, mm-hmm. then your clone could definitely deceive you. Ooh. Oh, I deceive myself all the time. Or Carmanda, did you finish watching <laughs> <laughs> Umbrella Academy? I did. I did. I already finished Umbrella Academy. Okay. Okay. This was oh, just reminding me of that. <laughs> okay. Does it's not a spoiler. No, it's just like, it's like, just a similar type of thought about, like, your consciousness being divided between. Oh, sort of, yeah, 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 sort of, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Should we, okay, I feel like I want to make a separate episode on Umbrella Academy. (laughs) Amanda, I have a a bone to pick with like the final season and like how it deals with like traveling through time because (laughs) I I did about this. I had a lot of questions. Yeah. "Hmm, Honestly. (laughs) Exactly. That's what I'm like. We should, we should talk about that. It's like, <laughs> that will that will be definitely a f- an episode for the future. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, y'all. I have been um I have been catching up on Indian matchmaking before oh I even started. Yes. Before it started that oh god. Also another coming episode, by the way, <laughs> on marriage yes. and living in the patriarchy and expectations on <laughs> women. Oh my god. Do you think um, Carmel, do you think Kat yeah. would be interested in doing that episode? Um, she might. She was the one who introduced me to that series, so she loves it. Oh, yeah. okay, okay. I, I'm down to do that with her. Yeah. I'll let her know. <laughs> Sounds good. Wait, what were we talking Anything about? else that we were talking about? <laughs> um, uh, I forgot. Oh, Bones. Umbrella Academy? <laughs> Love oh, yeah. and Marriage? Something like time? that. Time? <laughs> Traveling through time? Oh, uh, Yeah. Uh, yeah, that, that makes sense. Okay. Yeah, that's what we were talking about. Um, I was going to mention, like, you know, like a, a, a supercomputer that everyone, like, accesses, like, remotely. So there's, like, multiple remote computers that are accessing one supercomputer. And if this supercomputer were to become conscious, then mm. that's equivalent to existing in, like, multiple places at the same time that's true but uh yeah i guess it would exist but it wouldn't have like much control over the environment or anything right because it's a like it would just it would just like display whatever it wants to display or maybe it could take over your computer and google stuff (laughs) 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 it could take over your computer and like I don't know, like ruin your life or cause you to like make like something like a decision or something that ultimately like mm-hmm. you know it's like chain reaction of events. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's creepy pasta that's like about that kind of thing, where it's like oh something this guy starts playing um what's what is it Legend of Zelda, and then there's like <laughs> a being inside of the game that starts like taking over his stuff and like what the heck? <laughs> I don't think it's the uh, it's like weird internet stuff. Maybe you'd find it on like Tumblr or something. I don't fucking know. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> like how how bad would a conscious computer would be if it's not a robot? You know, if it literally is just like like say on like on a laptop. Like, mm, depends. If you piss it off, bad. it'll probably like ruin you financially. <laughs> <laughs> but like, is it? it most never- <laughs> I never save my credit card info on my <laughs> um, laptop. 
It'll just in case her. it grows conscious and it tries to buy Ulta. <laughs> this, the computer's like, I want skincare too. <laughs> <laughs> I no, feel like okay, the computer so- wouldn't like have like a, a vendetta against someone though, you know? It's like, it's not emotionally That's true. driven, right? Yeah. How would it know good versus bad also? We'd have That's to teach true. it. <gasps> yeah. <laughs> you have to let it read like Nicomachean ethics or something like that. anything anything that involves ethics like immediately out the door immediately no (laughs) it's gonna like be a psychopath computer (laughs) yeah we let it read like american psycho yeah Alrighty, well, I guess it's time to, uh, I feel like it's a natural stop to our podcast. Sure. Yeah. Did we um, gonna... reach an hour? Yeah, so 28 plus 22. Oh, yeah, we're, we're just reaching an hour right now, actually. Yeah, we're getting close. Should I talk about what I'm going to make for dinner? Or Yeah, sure, why talk about it so Dana, <laughs> tell us what you're gonna have for dinner before we go well oh my goodness so it's a really great dish i love this one so much it's in a cast iron skillet um it's okay. just broccoli. i make a roux like you would for mac and cheese right mm-hmm. i add some milk in the cast iron yes and straight okay. into the cast iron i've already pre-cooked okay. quinoa and broccoli and i have pre-cooked chicken and then i just make like a Mornay, which is like a cheese sauce made with like the bechamel milk base. Um, And then it's basically a casserole with broccoli, chicken, and quinoa, and it's delicious and it's healthy. (laughs) Well, that's your daily dose of food porn, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds good. That sounds so good. Um, while, while you're in San Jose, just like drive some over to me so I can have some and then you <laughs> I'll, can go I'll back. I'll send you a picture of it and you can just look at okay. it. Okay. I'm going to eat okay, it all. fine. That's good enough. <laughs> Alrighty, well, uh, thank you so much for joining our podcast, Date Dananda. This would yeah. not have been the same without you. I'm so glad we got <laughs> to do our third episode featuring you. Um, I sure. hope we can do it again once we finish Umbrella Academy because yes. um, I will definitely have, I already have thoughts about that because it's set in the 60s, but mm-hmm. I will have more thoughts about it once I probably finish it. So, so thank much you so much for about. joining us. I know. Absolutely. Thanks um, for having me. No problem. It, it was our pleasure. You should come back for the Umbrella Academy episode. Yeah, 100% I will. Yeah, I she's definitely to. coming back. I need to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, well, thank, you, thank you, everyone, for listening to our podcast, all 10 or 11 of our viewers. Our 11 of our viewers. <laughs> okay, Carmel, you don't count, okay? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we'll see you in a future episode. Bye. Bye. Bye.